This week, President Biden takes responsibility for a ceasefire that has finally been called between Hamas and Israel. A New York prosecutor announces that the investigation into the Trump organization has become criminal, and McCarthy and other Republicans have been opposed to the January 6th commission idea being pushed in Congress. Why is that? My name is Noah Huey, and this is Under the Stars. Welcome back to another week, everyone. I hope you had a good week. Um, I know I certainly did. It was a long week. And uh, next week, there is a very fair chance that there will be no podcast and potentially the week after that because next week is finals week. In fact, I have an exam on Friday. So um, there is a very good chance that there will be no episodes next week. And there's a chance I may just overload myself with work and do an episode anyway just because it's such a good week to do a podcast it kind of depends like this week was very busy and i uh, have decided to do a podcast anyway so we're just gonna go into it as uh, best as we can uh, before i begin i do want to remind you to follow my instagram that's at huey noah that's at h-u-g-h-e-y-n-o-a-h that's at huey noah um there i post mostly just promotions for the show and whenever i make a new set of merch or anything like that i post it on there but i do occasionally post personal stuff on there if you actually i actually have a snapchat too that i don't talk about on here i've got to go find the name because i can't remember it uh it's called noah huey 2019 because i was not aware you could not change it um so if you want to follow my snapchat i actually post more on there about if you're that type of person who just loves looking into the personal lives of people you follow, uh, I do more there. Um, also, make sure to support the show through merch and my books in the shop section of my website. Um, I For a second, I had to check and see if I locked the door. Um, through the shop section of my website, which is actually linked on my Instagram. But if you search up Under the Stars with Noah Huey on Google, it's like the first thing that comes up. So, And then also my new book, MAGA, The Trump Experiment, comes out June 14th. So make sure to be looking out for that on Amazon. I did just recently learn that uh, uh, they will now, my books, all of them, including MAGA, will now be available on, uh, on in Australia because apparently they weren't before. So if you are Australian... Uh, my books are now available to you as well, because right now there's no digital copy. So now printing is available in Australia. So if you want a physical copy of my books, you can now get those. So uh, make sure to check out Yes Master um, or Broken America and, of course, MAGA when it comes out. If you, uh, I was going to make a Down Under joke, but I'm not going to. If you're from Australia, you can get a print copy of my books now, including MAGA, The Trump Experiment. Again, it comes out June 14th, so be on the lookout for that. So earlier this week and throughout the week, throughout this whole uh, conflict between Israel and uh, the militant group in Palestine, which is something I did not make clear in the last episode, actually, I'd like to talk about that. Uh, last week when I was criticizing the affair and I was criticizing people for uh, taking such a binary position on everything, I did not make clear that the that the um, 
conflict isn't actually between the Palestinian government so much as it actually is between a militant group in in Palestine, which is actually kind of it's kind of re uh, resemblant of what I was saying how the how the nation's government is sort of um, uh, the words I used exactly were uh, in the pockets of Middle Eastern terrorists, but there are organizations, and I wouldn't, unlike many Republicans, I, I'm not, I don't know if I have the, uh, the the gall to call them terrorists right now. And I know that sounds strange, given that they literally kill people and fired into these, into Israel, uh, killing, I mean, granted, significantly less, but still, a life is a life. Uh, killing, I think it's 12 people in total, or maybe it's 12 children, I forget. Um, ultimately, I, I wanted to first make clear that it's not Palestine. It's a, it's a Palestinian group, a Palestinian ind independence group that wants to have that land back. Um, other than that, that's all I really know. And, and another thing I'd like to mention about the situation is that's really as far as I'm going to go on it because of the fact that I... I don't know the very small, intricate detail. Like, I know more about the Armenian genocide and the intricate details of that, so I can... If if I was to talk about that, I could say more about it because I know more about it. I only know the basic history between Palestine and Israel. I know why the West wanted to make a country for Jews. I know why Palestinians would be upset losing their home, losing their land, losing a piece of their legacy. Um, so I understand the contention, but that does I, I still follow the general belief that the contention out there is pretty redundant when the obvious solution is to allow everyone to indulge themselves in what what makes that place so valuable to everyone to begin with, which is the Al-Aqsa, I think that's how it's pronounced, Al-Aqsa, or maybe it's Al-Aska, something to that degree, um, uh, uh, compound, I think is, is what it's called. Um, it's a very important place for them, and that's that's a big reason. It's not the only reason, but it's one of the biggest ones in my in my assessment of the situation. That's kind of a piece of contention, and so that's really and, and it's mostly the city of Jerusalem to, altogether. Um, but I, I still stand by my beliefs I said last week, and in, in that that everyone's opinions about this are highly binary, and nobody's really looking at this as like a why are people dying and like what's the root cause of their death and how can we try and stop that and make everyone as happy as they can be or give them the opportunity to be and in, instead they're, they're viewing it as a binary like the game of politics because let's face it in, in the 21st century politics international conflicts and the deaths that are a result of the wars that come as a result of that is viewed as a game now which is really disingenuous and superficial and actually highly offensive because to everyone on earth, all of these awful conflicts that go on around the world is, has become like a game to be won against someone who disagrees with them on Twitter. And like, like Westerners are so uh, contempt in their ignorance, I suppose, in this, in this presupposition that, uh, that it's about winning something. It's got to be the oppressors versus the oppressed. It's got to be the, 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 uh, the, the right versus the wrong. But in my opinion, it's 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 that's a very stupid way to look at international conflicts. We need to be assessing this as a okay. So people in this instance are dying. What's the root cause of that problem, and how can we address it? How can we ensure that no people die, Palestinian or Jewish? Because we're not going to hold against people uh, where they come from, what they believe, or what they look like, or what they sound like, or who they want to be, or what they think they are, or, or any of those trivial identity differences. In my opinion, because the way I view it, those 
like holding in contempt, or not holding in contempt, but holding in disregard and disdain uh, against people, those trivial factors, um, just so we can continue to ascertain political power for ourselves and uh, a general military power over them as well, in the, in the case of Israel, uh, is a very dangerous thing to do. And I think the fact that that's what people want to do just shows that to Westerners, at least, we don't actually give a crap about these people. Excuse me. We don't care about these people. We really care more about, you know, like, what, how can we win against the evil conservatives or the evil liberals or whatever. Um, for people, I, I actually follow someone who, I, I don't want to put words into her mouth, but I do follow someone who, um, I, I don't know if she has family in Palestine it's a very special place to her, okay, obviously, and, and she's very upset and very passionate about that. Now, that I understand, because, like, I can understand why you view it as oppressor versus depressed when you're Palestine or the, or the Jews. Like, if you're Jewish, I understand why you would feel like you're being oppressed by the world all the time. Like, the UN has put, like, 94, not sanctions, but 94, some, like, they, they've been like, ah, you're evil 94 times to Israel. That's, like, more than they've ever done to any other country on Earth. <laughs> you know, so, and I understand if you're Palestinian, like, oh... Nobody cares about me. They don't care that my family grew up in Jerusalem. They don't care that we lived there for decades. They just kicked us out in the 40s and told us we're not allowed in. That's not our home anymore. So, yeah, I can understand the situation to both extents from their point of view. I don't understand why white um, Westerners, not just white Westerners, but Westerners in general, uh, have this share this opinion because you don't know what that's like. And, like, while we should be able to empathize with it, we can't just empathize with it one way um, regardless of where we're from or who we are, um, because of the fact that it's not the ideology that matters, people. Ideologies are not real. People are. We need to care about what's real, what's actually happening. And ideologies are just a... a I don't want to use the word supposition again. <laughs> are a fictional game. They are a general an overgeneralized view of the world in every instance that's really just there to kind of let individual people view the world how they want, create what values they want to live by as a person, what values they want to tell other people they think they should live by. But ideologies are not meant to play a part in international conflict and and the role and like the role of government. Ideologies are a fictional uh uh object of of frankly, I mean, I view like the whole indulgence into political ideologies and the political compass and all that stuff. I view people who ardently follow that stuff the same way I view like an eight year old that like loves playing Super Mario Kart. Like it's like, yeah, it's fun. And maybe, maybe the game, maybe it like maybe it has an influence on who you are because you enjoy playing it so much. But there's a real world out there. And if you continue to to blind yourself to that world because you're too busy trying to think, see everything through an ideology, you're never going to cause a solution. In fact, you're probably going to cause a lot of the problems that you think you're solving to begin with. So I think that's important to remember as we look at this, that we need to be thinking about what's real going on here. And what's real is the fact that up to, to thousands, I think, up to the thousands of people have died in Israel, children, women, uh, men, everyone. And Luckily, less people have died in Israel, but up to the thousands of people have died in this region, and we're too busy over here fighting over ridiculous ideologies as applied to the areas. Like, like Republicans are pulling the 
um, anti-Semitism. Everything against Israel is anti-Semitism, which is ironic because it's like the, the like the anti-Semitism thing, like claiming everything is anti-Semitism, is kind of their version of the liberal everything is racist theory. Like it's kind of their, it's it's that uh, obsolete or not obsoletist, absolutist um, belief system that liberals and conservatives apply because they don't actually want to have to have critical thinking and and long conversations with people about subjects. Um, to, to form solutions, they just want to reaffirm that their ideology is best, have it forced on everyone under their government, and maybe even around the world, depending on who you are, and then they want to see that ideology applied, and that ideology's values only applied in every situation, and every conflict, and in every issue that ever faces humanity, because they've convinced themselves of this delusional notion that that ideology is the answer. That doesn't make them bad people, by the way. I've often, I have constantly failed, actually, to, 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 to say that that doesn't make them bad people. We are not bad people for believing that ideologies are like this absolutist end-all, be-all to... The world's issues. That's just us being idealistic because we, critical thinking is hard. Okay. I mean, I'm the first to admit that. I can't believe like how embarrassed I was to really think about the fact that I've never, I too have indulged myself in this absolutist independentism is everything. Like, no, that's, that's all. I mean, who like, ultimately, I don't care how upset it makes me to think that political parties have good in them. They do. Republicans have good in them. Democrats have good in them, obviously. Otherwise, the country would have failed by now. <laughs> but the point is, they are getting to a point where, where, where the absolutism of our beliefs as people become too much. And we need to remove that filter so we can cause real solutions. Anyway, that's not even what this news piece is about. But I did want to get into that because there are a few misconceptions I, I didn't really go into as much as I thought I should have. And so I uh, wanted to clear that up real quick right now. Um... Anyways, President Joe Biden earlier this week spoke with uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, Monday afternoon, but made no direct call for an immediate end of violence as the deadly conflict between Israel and Hamas had entered its second week. Uh, the White House said that Biden expressed his support for a ceasefire and discussed U.S. engagement with Egypt and other partners towards that end. The president reiterated his firm support for Israel's right to defend itself against indiscriminate rocket attacks. The president welcomed efforts to address international communal violence and to bring calm to Jerusalem. He encouraged Israel to make every effort to ensure protection of innocent, innocent civilians. This call, his second with the Israeli prime minister over three days, came as Biden faced increasing political pressure from Democrats to take a, a tougher approach on Israel as the international community grows increasingly outraged over the treatment of Palestinian people. Um... On earlier Monday, Biden nor the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki answered directly whether or not the White House would call for a ceasefire in the region. Our approach is through a quiet, intensive diplomacy, Psaki told reporters. This is how we feel we can be most effective. The Gaza Health Ministry put the death toll on a densely populated uh, enclave of about 2 million Palestinian, 2 million, wow, at 197, including 58 um, children and 34 women over the last week. Ten people have been killed in Israel, now 12, um, Israeli authorities say. The violence has been worse in the region since 2014, when there was more than 2,000 dead. Uh, Democratic senators have been writing letters to the White House calling for us to take a more pro-Palestine approach. Um, there have been Democratic members who have been large supporters of Israel, who have been criticizing them for the over, for the attacks. Um, Netanyahu has... Con con 
excuse me, consistently defended the strike, saying that Hamas was operating out of the out of the building. They had uh, fired at a building, a media tower, um, which hurt a lot of innocent people. Um, they said that Hamas was operating in the building, but then never provided any evidence. Um, in the conversation with Netanyahu, again, later, uh, Biden reaffirmed his strong support for Israel's right to defend itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the one from before. Um, but he also said that uh, uh, the Palestinian National Authority President uh, Mahmoud Abbas has uh, his support for steps to enable the Palestinian people to enjoy the dignity, security, freedom, and economic opportunity they, they uh, deserve. So again, this kind of plays into what I was saying earlier. Like, there are a lot of approaches. And the thing is, the White House, they're trying to... The thing is, Biden doesn't actually want to solve this issue. He doesn't really care. He just wants this to be over, because this is not part of his goals. He wants to do American Jobs Plan, American Families Plan, uh, China-Russia, stuff like that. He doesn't care about this. At least he's not playing it off. Like, he's kind of giving off the... Kind of like the Obama strategy of, like... Uh, yeah, calm, calm down, calm down, calm down. Okay, uh, back to what I was saying. So it's kind of what Biden's playing here, and it's fine, so long as it helps, it's fine. But seriously speaking, like, there's not... For a group of people um, who call themselves progressive, many of these progressive Democrats don't... It's not really like we want to solve the issue by working with both parties and seeing what's right. It's like, we want to solve the issue either by punishing Israel, punishing Palestine, or just telling them to shut up and moving on. That's the strategies that are coming out of Washington right now. We've got Democrats who want to punish Israel. We've got Republicans who want to punish Palestine because they're not because they're, they're too busy playing up the terrorist, terrorist, terrorist thing. And then we've got a White House who's trying to like play the centrist card, but doing it horribly. And... And, and going kind of just like, oh, yeah, 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 that's that's awesome. You hate each other. Now, shut up so I can do what I want to do. So it's really disheartening because you're never going to to so, cause a solution here. I mean, it like if I was president right now, I would be calling for both leaders to act with a sense of personal responsibility because they are going to be the example that's set. And let's be honest. Again, think about it. It's a militant group. It's not the the Palestinian government that's firing into Israel. It's Hamas, a militant group in the country. So, like, and, and think about it this as well. Palestine, just in general, Palestinians don't have as as much help from the West as Israel does. And I think there, there I think, in my opinion, there has been an overreaction from Israel. I mean, infinitely less people are dead well, that's a bit of an overstatement, but l much less people are dead in Israel as there are in Palestine. I mean, those numbers were far, like, my original guess was way off um, for the, for Palestine. And, and the point is that nobody seems to really want to step up to it, and I feel like they know it, too. I mean, it's, it's so, it's so, like, effortless. No, that's not the right word. It's so, um intensely tiring to constantly say the same thing over and over that nobody actually cares that they're just being incredibly superficial with everything but that's really what's happening and that's kind of the state of politics and geopolitics and just all conflict all conversation everything today just seems so superficial you know political parties are just speaking a bunch of hot air and then manipulating government to try and 
check up check off a political wish list for whatever ideology is in charge of the government then and then when it comes to international conflicts and they and the worst part is the worst part of this whole thing is the fact that the people in general are tied into this mess like this would be our situation would be a lot less of an issue if the people of our country weren't so intertwined into the political manipulation and um superficiality of the situation that our elected leaders are but our elected leaders have worked incredibly hard um I mean, credit to where it's due. They've been working, like, dubiously for hundreds of years to ensure that the American people are as ignorant as they can be without it being incredibly obvious that they're trying to make us ignorant. And I think it's, you know, it sucks because there's not, it's like a minority of people who recognize the, who want to recognize the complex, the complexity of the situation are like, okay, it's going to be tough. These are going to be a tough conversation, but we've got to, we have to have it. It has to happen. Palestine and Israel, they need, they have to sit down across from each other and work this out. And if that requires a third party stepping in and helping them do it along the way, aka smacking them on the hand whenever they try and reach for, reach for the weapons, then I say let's do it. Because I'm sick and tired of watching these conflicts go on and being like, okay, so there's a few options we have, why aren't we taking them? And, and realizing that it's because nobody actually cares. It's just a bunch of lazy, incoherent people who somehow came to power. I say somehow. We know exactly how they came to power. They ex they exploited our emotional instability and our bigotries that we harbor as people. And instead of telling us, no, that's wrong. You shouldn't want that. You should want to just be able to believe what you believe and let everyone else believe what they believe. And they ex instead of doing that, they exploit it for power. We, that's how they got to how they got there. Um, but it's just so tiring to see these people who clearly don't care, at least they don't care enough, to try and look at the complexities. They just want to view some binary, superficial nonsense. It's just incredibly tiring to have to explain this over and over again. But I'm willing to do it until I die. Because that's, that's my whole goal. And that's why I'm talking about politics as egregious and as uh, tumultuous as it is to work through this nonsense. Because if that's what it takes to get people to wake up from these nonsensical echo chambers that we've forced ourselves into because that's what our political overlords told us to, then I will do that for the rest of my life because we don't need to let these, these, these uh, uh, ceaseless uh, conflicts and, and issues to continue both in America and around the world. You want to spread democracy? You want to spread the freedom of humanity? Then here's an idea. Get your hands do dirty and do the darn work. Because if you're not going to do that, then what are you doing? Stop playing a game with the lives and livelihoods and the freedoms and the securities of people in your country and around the world just so you can reaffirm some stupid ideology. Nobody cares. Do what's right for people because people are real. Ideologies are not. That's my takeaway for that situation. All right. Away from Israel. We're coming back home. And unfortunately, we're going back to Trump. In fact, we're going to go back to Trump twice in this episode. But it's fine. We're, it's important, actually. So there's been an investigation that I've been following into Trump's company, the Trump Organization. And just recently, about a day ago or so, about a day or two ago, I want to say, actually, the, the state of New York has declared that the investigation they're pulling into the organization has now become a criminal investigation. And this is important because it seems very likely that the former president will be running again in 2024. That being said, I will be able to vote in that election. I can say with a full guarantee right now, I will not vote for Donald Trump. You'll understand why when you read my book, 
which is kind of I probably could have you could you could call my upcoming book MAGA the Trump experiment you could call that why I'm not voting for Donald Trump and it's not that I think he's the devil I don't think he's a fascist I don't think he's a I don't even think he's a racist I just think the negatives of his former administration outweighed the positives because I believe he's he's like an he's like the worst parts of a populist like all summed up and so that's that's like the oversimplification of it. So yeah, if you understand why I already know that, read the book when it comes out. Anyway, so uh, Letitia James, the state's top prosecutor, has been scrutinizing the ex-Republican president's financial dealings before he took office. A spokesperson for Ms. James said the inquiry into Mr. Trump's property company was no longer purely civil. Mr. Trump on Wednesday said he was in a desperate search she was in desperate search of a crime. Miss James's spokesperson, uh, Fabian Levy, told the BBC on Tuesday, we have informed the Trump Organization that our investigation into the organization is no longer purely civil in nature. We are now actively investigating the Trump Organization in a criminal capacity, along with the Manhattan DA. We have no additional comment. The offices of the State Attorney General and the District Attorney are separate and, according to the National Public Radio, have historically been rivals. The fact that they are now co-coordinating, I mean, their efforts to underscore the high profile of their investigation, or it does underscore the high profile of their investigation. Um, the two prosecutors are com- are combing through millions of pages of financial information in a search for evidence, reports NPR. The statement did not say what tune turned the inquiry from civil to criminal in nature or whether the former president himself might be personally implicated in any allegations. That's something that's constantly brought up about Trump and his dealings. Trump to this current moment, I have always kind of compared to James, no, not James Garfield, um, to uh, uh, Grant, Ulysses S. Grant, his presidential administration. His administration had so much corruption. We're talking the whiskey ring scandal, the teapot dome scandal, like, there were so many scandals in this thing, all right? So many people around him and near him did so many shady crap, and they, like, got him to unknowingly play part in it. Trump has had a similar experience, except it all ties to him. Like, with Ulysses S. Grant, the, the the stuff that happened under his administration was a lot of shady stuff going on in other areas, and Grant just unknowingly allowed some of it to happen and often accidentally played a hand in it, thinking he was doing the right thing. Whereas the scandals that surround Trump his whole life, apparently are scandals that directly benefit him, whether it be his businesses or his presidency. The scandals that have followed Trump aren't just scandals that he accidentally empowered. They're scandals that have empowered him. The thing, of, the fact of the matter is, there's never been any evidence to implicate that he actually knew that he was doing something wrong that empowered him. He just knew he was being empowered by something and may, I mean, I could, you could posit that he at least knew that the, the, the stuff that was going on, that scandal, was empowering him and he just didn't care but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that that supposition is suddenly true because I don't generally like to do that at least not anymore <laughs> about uh, political figures because I, I tend to find that people will then internalize those those predispositions so that they can use them as kind of a scapegoat so they don't have to actually critically think about a person now Trump's response excuse me I got ice in my mouth 
has accused Miss James and the district attorney Cyrus Vance, both Democrats, of being possessed by their political vendettas against him. Um, his statement rebuked the investigations as a continuation of the greatest political witch hunt in the history of the United States. After prosecutorial, excuse me, after prosecutor, prosecutorial efforts, the likes of which nobody has ever seen before, they failed to stop me in Washington. So they turned it over to New York to do their dirty work. This is what I have been going through for years. Yes, me, me, me. I'm the victim. Do not question me. That's what I get from that. Okay, Trump is like, despite selling himself as like, oh, I'm the Washington outsider. I'm not going to play their dirty tricks and their manipulation. He did exactly like, and I break this down in the book. So again, buy it. Um, but <laughs> he, he, he plays every trick that every politician ever has ever played. He does it all the exact same. Like, I'm still trying to figure out when he started to be a Washington outsider. Like, just because you're not like someone who's worked as a politician for 40 years does not suddenly mean you're a good person. But Trump knew, well, Trump thinks, I mean, that his voting base is idiots, are idiots. He thinks his voting base are idiots. So he kind of just says, I'm a Washington outsider. And so long as they went, okay, he was like, all right, got it. Give me money. And now he's got to keep playing this up. Greatest political witch hunt. Uh, I've been going through this fear. My life is so hard with my billions of dollars, my multiple houses, multiple wives, many, many children, and uh, no one's ever caught me for a single crime I may or may not have committed in my life. So it's sort of like, like what, like, it, 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 it's, um, what's the word? Exemplary, exemplary of his character, which is a character that is defined mostly by narcissism, by self-righteousness, and by the same general political political proclivities of the left and the right. Excuse me, just all sorts of bodily fluids. Uh, <laughs> but the same sort of political proclivities of the left and the right, Trump is also responsible for. And that's what he showed us in the last four years that he spent as president, and that's what he's been showing us in his post-presidency. He relies on people not questioning what he says to get away with anything he wants. Now, does this mean that he's a massive criminal and every bad thing that's ever been said about him is true? No. But it does mean that he knows that people think that. And he's going to use that in his favor because there is one person that Donald Trump cares about most, and that person's name is Donald Trump. So, that's kind of the, the current Trump news. We're going we're gonna to take a quick break from that, and we'll come back to it uh afterwards. But first, I'd like to say, make sure you follow my Instagram at Huey Noah. That's at H-E-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. Make sure to support the show through the merch and my books in the shop section of my website, which is linked on my Instagram, or if you search up Under the Stars with Noah Huey on Google, and I'm pretty sure it comes up everywhere else too. It's like the first or second thing that comes up. It'll say, I think it'll say podcast Under the Stars with Noah Huey. It's that link. It's a, it's a Wix site, and I don't want to list it out. I tried doing that, but it takes so much words. So, Look it up. It's one of the first things that comes up. It's linked on my YouTube. It's linked on my Instagram. You can find it. Um, and again, my new book, MAGA, The Trump Experiment, comes out June 14th. Check it out on Amazon. So, um, the January 6th commission. So, Congress has been pushing for a commission to investigate January 6th, the attack on the Capitol, uh, in the same nature that they um, ha investigated 9-11 in 2000 and, uh 
2002. I can't remember when that happened. It's either late 2001 or early 2002. I wasn't alive then. Um, I don't know how that's justification for anything. So it, it's since passed the house since this news has come across. So I'm going to let that know. It's passed the house, but it, I wanted to mention it anyway. So Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, a, a California Republican actually, thought his House Republican conference would almost entirely stand behind him in efforts to derail an investigation into the events of January 6th. Now, a last-minute surge of GOP interest is dashing hopes for a near-perfect opposition to the Independent Commission and putting Republican divisions back on full display. Dozens of Republicans are considering voting for the January 6th commission, which McCarthy himself said he opposed earlier Tuesday, even after he deputized one of his allies, Representative John Katko of New York, to strike a bipartisan agreement on the proposal. In a sign of momentum, the Bipartisan House Problem Solvers Caucus, one of my favorites, of which Katko is a member, formally voted to endorse the legislation Tuesday evening. Just days after the GOP leaders decided they wouldn't force their members' hands either way, McCarthy and his leadership team issued an informal leadership recommendation ahead of Wednesday's vote, arguing, er, I'm sorry, urging a no vote to help contain defections in their party. Former President Donald Trump also sought to shut down the commission on the eve of the floor vote, calling it a Democrat trap and urging Republicans to get much tougher and much smarter. This discussion should be ended immediately, he said in a statement, which should which could help push uh, wavering GOP lawmakers into the no camp. Regardless of how many Republicans back Trump on the issue, though, his bill is expected to pass the House, or the bill, excuse me. It's a fate... In the 50-50 Senate is less clear, which is where it's heading now. White House GOP leadership, uh, no, I'm sorry, while House GOP, I was, I was confused there, what? While House GOP leadership is still not formally whipping against the legislation, their last-minute maneuvering is the latest signal that top Republicans are starting to grow nervous about how many members may end up crossing party lines, which could be a blow to McCarthy and enrage Trump. So, there's, it's, it's a lot, people. It's a lot. It's a sign that, it's so strange. Like, like, here's the thing that I've talked about a couple times. I have a slight prospect that when I uh, am of age, there's a chance I may file to run for office. But the thing is, I'm trying to play it, I don't want to play it safe with it. I'm, I'm not interested in playing it safe, I'm interested in doing the right thing. Forget the optics, forget the politics, if I think it's the right thing to do, I'm going to do it. I know it's old-fashioned and cliched, but here's the thing. I also know that it's more morally virtu virtuous than to do things that are politically convenient, than to, or to do things that are right, than to do things that are politically convenient. Okay? I don't care about politics. I don't care about, oh, what about your strategy? Screw strategies. I'm going to do what the right thing is. There's going to be a strategy behind that, but I'm not going to do this strategy of do what's popular, do what everyone wants, because here's the thing. Mob rules democracies have never failed, or have never succeeded. <laughs> Mob rules democracies have never succeeded. They always end in chaos. I mean, even ancient Greece proved this, that mob rule democracies do not work. Do not do what the majority wants, just listen to what the majority says. But you need to listen to what everyone says. That's what democracies are supposed to be. Don't do what the majority wants. Do what everyone, uh, do a combination 
of what everyone in the democracy wants, because it's their democracy too. The only instance in which a majority rule situation feels appropriate is in the election process itself. And even then, less than a third of America's than of America's population votes apparently. So, and, and we're talking in the most voted in election ever, 2020. Less than a third of the nation voted. So yeah, it, it's kind of a very complicated issue. But the point of the matter is, what this all means to me is, it's very interesting to see what's going on between Republicans and see what's going on just in general, because it's kind of like. Will this cause a third party? Will this cause a rift? Will this cause a what? Does this mean that there's hope for the country for the country to go in a less partisan, everything has to go the way I want it because my ideology is superior to yours way? Or is it going in a is it going in that direction? And the thing is it's hard to tell. And in, in terms of like what are the, what why what is the implication of there's so many powerful Republicans who want to, don't want this to happen? Trump doesn't want this to happen because he doesn't want to look bad because he's obsessed with his glory legacy of I'm the conservative hero who saved America and I'm the new Ronald Reagan I'm the new Abraham Lincoln. That's all he's ever cared about. For Republicans in general, they also care about this because it may play a part in their political. Um, in their success chances in the midterm elections, because again, Republicans and Democrats care more about being in power than they do about do the right thing. So they need to make sure that they keep the American people as blinded, confused, angry, and hateful towards each other so that they continue to have their spot in the House. And for Kevin McCarthy specifically, this means he also wants to get a position as the Speaker of the House because Nancy Pelosi isn't running for re-election for that position. I do not, I think she said that recently. We know for 100% Kevin McCarthy wants to be Speaker of the House. He wants that position. That's, a, that's one of the most powerful positions on, uh, in Congress. He wants it. That's what he's after. Which, like, I really do not like Kevin McCarthy specifically because he just has such a lack of principles altogether. He was the guy who's like, oh, Trump is 100% responsible for this. So let's not investigate it at all, guys. <laughs> so it's like, and it's because people like him were also involved. It's because they told people so they don't want to be investigated either. They don't want to be, they don't want to lose that power. People like Kevin McCarthy and, and just Kevin McCarthy in general, it's a very unprincipled man who serves only his ideological power and his personal power. That's his end goal. So Kevin McCarthy specifically, this is a power thing. Republicans in general, it's a power thing, but it's also sort of a, you know, where are we going? For some Republicans, this means, like, what is our our party values? Are we going to continue to play into this nonsense, or are we going to be the fiscal conservatives that we want to be, that we believe work? Um, and that means for Republicans like Liz Cheney and such, they're going to break away. Um, or not may, maybe not break away from the party, but it means they're going to break away from the party's um, opinions on some of these issues. And so it's very interesting to see. And, I mean... I don't know, this just, for the Democrats, this is a heyday, okay? Ever since January 6th, the Democrats have had a heyday watching the Republicans roll around in the mud, completely split up, they have no idea what they're doing. So for Democrats, it's a heyday. But believe me, one day, Democrats are going to slip up, they're going to do something too, and then it'll be them. 
It always is like that. It's a huge part of why our political system is completely unsustainable because we have these two ideologies that just kind of take turns playing hot potato with power in the government, which makes the government really unstable because it's constantly undoing and redoing the same like four or five policies over and over and over again every uh, like four years, every half decade to a decade. That's a completely unsustainable type of democracy, and if we're going to ever make progress as a nation, we need to throw that entire idea of how government works out the window and go back, not go back to, because honestly, I don't even know if it really ever ran like that back, like, if we look through history, it's been like that almost the whole time. What we really need to do is we need people to work together, to have these hard conversations, and the thing is, politicians really need to buckle down and be the ones that are, like... I'm glad that people like um, Will Roosh have hard conversations on Instagram, but we need the actual politicians to have the hard conversations because they're the ones that make the policy. Like, yeah, people should have the hard conversations so that they can then come to together as a collective united people and be like, this is what we want collectively. But politicians need to be the ones that ultimately sit down and have the conversations on what the policy is going to look like. And if they're going to continue to be divided on this issue, divided on every other issue, they're never going to reach progress. And America is going to be in a perpetual state of undoing and redoing every policy it ever does because Republicans and Democrats are so full of themselves that they're not willing to move forward unless it is explicitly under their party's control. They are delusional. And it's our job as people to break that delusion and to open their eyes to what the possibilities are if they simply work together. And, um, and again, this all plays into my whole thing of like, what, does that mean I have to run for Congress when I'm older? Maybe. That's something I'm seriously considering because I'm, I refuse to live in a country that tells me, nope, you can't have, you, you're not allowed to have an opinion unless you do what I want you to. That's how freedom works. Freedom is just doing what I want you to and shutting up. Like, no, that's not. And if that means I have to fight the world on it, I will. Because there's a quota. I forget what it is. I want to pull it up. It's a fantastic quote. Um, and I love it. It's just going to take me a minute to find it. And I don't want to misquote who said it either. Why do I keep connecting to the wrong internet? Okay. Um... Oh my god. Okay, I'm going to find it. I swear I'm going to find it. I swear I'm going to find it. Wait, is it the, is this the right account? Wait, wait, wait. I know what to do. I know what to do. Okay, here we go. Okay, it was the right person. So yeah, it, 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 okay, so it's exactly who I thought it was when it was. I needed to double check it. So it's Henry David Thoreau from Civil Disobedience in 1849. Any man more right than his neighbors constitutes a majority of one already. And I know this sounds kind of narcissistic for me to be like, I'm the majority of one. But here, this is something I know I'm absolutely right on because I've seen it happen enough times studying history and living it to know that the only time that real human progress happens and the expansion of democracy and freedom happens is when people throw away this ridiculous notion of my ideology wins everything and just goes, oh, wait, we have to sit down, have hard conversations, make 
to have harder conversations about how we make that idea become policy and pass it. Like, that is how governments make human progress happen, and it's how we spread democracy and freedom in our country and around the world. I know that's true, and I'm happy to, like, reshape what that idea actually looks like in its actuality, but I know for certain that that's the basis of what government needs to do. And that's why I see myself as a majority of one, and that's why I'm willing to fight the world on this to my death. I will never, ever, ever let myself lose that basic principle that governments work best away from this notion of ideological supremacy and simply sit down and have the hard conversations that they need to have. And for the Republican Party and government in general, it I don't know if it looks like they're going to do that anytime soon. It, it's an unsure um, situation. I did have a thing about here where Trump said he was talking about it, but you know what? Uh, I'm not going to because I already mentioned it. Um, so... Two more revelations about Trump. Now, these are revelations that happened in his administration. So let me get a drink of water first. Just water, no ice. No, no ice. Okay. So there are two new revelations that have come out. Highly ironic revelations. Because... For a man who's been, quote-unquote, fighting the deep state, you'd think he would not do this. So the Trump administration, in 2017, secretly sought and obtained the phone and email records of a CNN correspondent. The latest instance where federal prosecutors have taken aggressive steps targeting journalists in leak investigations. The Justice Department... The Justice Department... No, the Justice Department informed CNN Pentagon correspondent Barbara Starr in a May 13th letter that prosecutors had obtained her phone and email records covering two months between June 1st, 2017 and July 31st, 2017. The letter listed phone numbers from Starr's Pentagon extension, the CNN Pentagon phone booth phone number, and her home and cell phones, as well as Starr's work and personal email accounts. It is unclear the investigation was opened, whether it had happened under Attorney General Sessions or Attorney General Barr, and what the Trump administration was looking for in Starr's records. The Justice Department has confirmed the records were sought through the, the courts last year, but provided no further explanation or context. A Justice Department official confirmed that Starr was never target of any investigation. The seizure of Starr's records as the third disclosure in many weeks where the Trump administration used its Justice Department to secretly obtain communications of journalists or to expose the identity of critics of former President Donald Trump's allies. CNN strongly condemns the secret collection of any aspect of a journalist's correspondence, which is clearly protected by the First Amendment, said CNN Jeff Zucker. We are asking for an immediate meeting with the Justice Department for an exclamation. The Obama administration came under the same criticism for its heavy-handed tactics toward leak investigations involving journalists. Um, that's about as far as I want to read into that. So... This is just kind of, again, kind of plays into that whole thing where Trump never did anything different than the people he said he was going to stop. 
every deep state, Washington insider, whatever you want to call it, politician, like every move they could possibly make to ensure their ideological and personal power over everyone that disagrees with them, Trump did the exact same thing. And somehow there are people who still view him as the conservative hero outsider that saved America. Like, no, he's not. Like, put simply, he's not. He failed. Like, he did amazing things. The economy was fantastic. Jobs opportunities were through the roof. America was making it at home. We were doing things here. We weren't relying on other countries for for work. All of these other things. Like, all that stuff was fantastic. He hit the, the opioid uh, crisis on the head with a hammer. Like, he did some amazing things as president. But the thing is, they were mostly just kind of like thin-veiled like, Oh, look at this, look at this big shiny success! Ignore the, the, like, surmounting failure after failure after failure happening on me. My failure to get the border wall made and have Mexico pay for it. Failure to, um, protect, cover his behind when people are being like, Hey, you said a very insensitive thing there. Hey, you are congratulating dictators for, uh, uh, what's the word? Ascertaining power for the rest of their lives. Hey, you are like, holding personal vendettas against people who criticize you, and, hey, you're fear-mongering, hey, you're, like, like, all of these things he did wrong, which, in my opinion, outweigh his successes, as good as they were, um, which is a big reason why I would not vote for him if he were to run again, um, like, he just kind of went, oh, but, but look at this, though, Oh, but, but look at this, though. Look at my success. Look at the Democrats' failure. Like, he did everything a regular politician would ever do. And that's why I'm constantly confused as to why anyone ever thought he was this Washington... Like, just because you never were a politician before doesn't mean you can't easily become just as corrupt as them. Like, Madison Cawthorn's another good... Like, Madison Cawthorn's like a tiny little Trump. Like, yeah, he's never been a politician before. He's also never been anything before. <laughs> Other than a college student and a guy that got hurt once. And, like, he's just as bad as any politician I've... Like, he's... Like, Republicans, a lot of these hardcore Trump Republicans are heavy on the fear-mongering of Biden socialist democratic... Like, they're just fear-mongering left and right. And it's like... Okay, like, I get it, you don't have anything to run off of, but, like, focus on your policies. Not to say, that's not to say these policies that they're working on aren't bad. Madison Cawthorn's passed plenty of, passed plenty of good policies. Policies that, that honor veterans. Policies that defend certain aspects of stuff that I can't think of right now because my brain is fried. Because I tried to work on a pool vacuum that I have to check in a minute. Um, but it also means that they... There, it, it opens up this door of suspicion. Um, the next thing they did was the Justice Department, that we found out, the Justice Department had been investigating threatening messages related to a parody account that criticized Representative Devin Nunes, a previously unknown criminal investigation. The episode came to light after the federal court in Washington, D.C. unsealed records related to it in this week. The discovery almost immediately prompted critics of the Justice Department to question if prosecutors were overstepping uh, to pursue politically motivated complaints, especially at the end of the Trump administration. But according to a person familiar, the uh, alternate account request grew out of a U.S. Capitol Police investigation regarding threats made towards Republican Kentucky Senator Mitch McConnell. As part of the probe, investigators sought out information about several online accounts, the source told TNN. 
the investigation outlasted the presidency. Twitter, in its fight to keep the user's information secret, suggested the subpoena may be part of a government attempt from either Nunes, the California Republican, or the Justice Department to unmask Nunes' critics and chill their speech. Um, it's just kind of, it opens up this whole thing that Repub- that not all Republicans, and, and Trump especially, were not these Washington outsider heroes of democracy and freedom and Republicanism and all this stuff that they wanted their voters to believe in. And this isn't to imply that these people are just inherently evil and that we have to hate them and vote for Democrats forever and ever and ever. That's a ridiculous voting belief system. It just means that we need to hold these representatives, Republican or Democrat, uh, or left or right, in a more uh, critical uh, context. We need to force them to hold, to hold these serious conversations and not just have a brief meeting once every month and go, bipartisanship, yay, and then just leave. We need them to sit down and talk. We need them to, like... Be held accountable, man. We can't just sit under the the predisposition that, oh, Washington outsider, you're going to save democracy, and I'm never going to question what you say. Like, because then they they begin to develop this pathology that their voting base is stupid, and that then they can just do whatever they want with it, and tell that voting base whatever it wants, and they can peddle whatever fear-mongering manipulation they want to. And here's the thing. I say fear-mongering manipulation, but here's the thing. Half the time, I don't think Democrats or Republicans ever actually realize that they're fear-mongering to people. Because I don't think they actually... Like, I don't think Madison Cawthorn and I don't think Trump actually don't think Biden and the Democrats are socialists. I think they do think that. And I think they genuinely view that as a bad thing. So that's what they're telling people. But the thing is, I, it's clearly seen as, as fear-mongering because that's not the full story. It, the only difference is these aren't people lying to their constituents, but it's people that don't know that they're not right because nobody's telling them, because their voting base believes what they tell them, and because they believe things that are wrong. So it's then our duty as people who do know that they're wrong to tell them they're wrong, whether it be them or people who are heavy supporters of them. And we don't tell people who are wrong that they're wrong because we want to make them look stupid and make them believe what we want. It's because we tell them that here's what information we have and this is why we believe you're wrong. And if they counter us with something that's very legit and says, hey, well, you're wrong, though, well, then we must take responsibility for that. It's a complicated cycle of maturity and respect and gen- and basic dignity that needs to go around for political distor- discourse to be sustainable in a free society. But the thing is, it's not the way it works right now, because right now everyone sits on this ideological tower of self-righteous superiority and just kind of looks like points their nose up at everyone who disagrees with them. It's our job to create a sustainable discourse and a sustainable political system by pushing these hard conversations, by holding our representatives accountable, for pointing out what we believe they're wrong on, and for taking responsibility when we're wrong on something. And that's kind of... That, that just that needs to happen. Otherwise, the very foundation of the United States will most definitely fall out under itself and... Soon there won't be an America to defend or an America to save or whatever. Like, it's just not going to happen. So, that's the general takeaway from this week's episode. Um, Thanks so much for listening in. Um, If uh, you can, make sure to follow my Instagram, at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-I-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. 
you can also follow my um, uh, Snapchat, Noah Huey 2019. Um, uh, make sure to support the show through merch and my books in the so- in the shop section of my website. If you search up Noah he- Under the Stars with Noah Huey on um, on Google, it shows up like first thing. It's found on my Instagram. It's found on my YouTube channel. Uh, if you have the time, watch the YouTube video. But obviously, if you don't, then just listen to it on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts or listen to it straight from the website if that's what you do. Um, and also, June 14th, Trump's birthday, actually. Make sure to check out my new book on Amazon MAGA, The Trump Experiment. It goes into all four years of the presidency. It breaks down basically why I wouldn't vote for him. It breaks down my... It's my assessment of his presidency. It's not supposed to be an educational thing. It's not a biography. It's not unbiased. It's got plenty of bias, I'm sure. I think I make note of that. I I don't remember anymore. Um, But the point of the matter is, this is my perception of the presidency and how I think we need to interpret it so that we may uh, make the country a better place. Um, So yeah, MAGA, the Trump experiment, comes out June 14th, and now that is also available in Australia. So if you're from Australia, you can now buy a print copy of that when it comes out June 14th. Make sure to, to look for it and uh, buy it when it comes out. Thanks so much for listening in, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.